evening. Welcome back to Grace Baptist Church. I am so thankful, as always, to have this opportunity to uh, be with you here on this Wednesday night. And it's a pleasure each and every week to just take a few minutes out of the middle of our week to turn our attention to Scripture and to hopefully just kind of have a little oasis for a few moments in the middle of a, of a busy week. If you are joining us for the very first time, I want to particularly welcome you and thank you so much for joining us tonight here at Grace. And regardless of how you found us, maybe you found us by accident or maybe someone shared this video with you, regardless of how you found us, we are so thankful that we have opportunity to talk to you as well this evening. And if you are watching for the first time, let me invite you to fill out the visitor card that should be down below, whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you should be able to find in the comment section a visitor card that you can fill out and send that in to us. We would love to get to know you a little bit more. Also, if you would prefer to visit our website, gracenc.org, you can fill out the contact button. You hit the contact button there and fill out the information under that um, button, and you can email us, and you may have questions about our ministry. Maybe there's a way that we may be able to help you. Please contact us. We would love to hear from you. Also, as I do each and every week, I thank each and every one of you who financially give toward the work of our ministry here at Grace Baptist Church. Uh, your giving allows us the privilege to be able to present this content to you each week. And also, also uh, in congruent with this, we can also have our online and in-person ministries uh, on Sundays, and we thank you for that, our school ministry as well. So thank you so much to those of you that give financially to the work of our ministry here at Grace. If you would like to give, you can again go back to that website, gracenc.org, and you can click the Give button, and it'll walk you through the process through which you can, you can give toward our, our work here at Grace. Well, we are pressing on in our study on attitudes, and we have reached uh, session number five. And as we are working through this, I want to just briefly kind of remind you some of the principles that we have talked about so far. We began session one just with this very, very real observation that we have to, I think, remind ourselves of all the time. And that is our attitudes are a choice. Okay, Our attitudes don't just come upon us. Our emotions should not ever dictate our attitude. Our attitudes really are a choice. We also are working from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 down through verse 24, where the Apostle Paul says this, that we are to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're following this pattern in this study. We are looking at sinful patterns or sinful attitudes that we are to put off. We began with the attitude of complaining that we are to put off the sinful attitude of complaining, and replace it, put on the new self of thankfulness. We studied that a few sessions ago. Last week, what we studied was the sinful attitude of covetousness, this desire to want things either that are sinful things, the wrong things, or we want something at the wrong time, we want it for the wrong motive, or we want it in the wrong amount. 
And so covetousness is this desire for me to have something different than what God has provided. Covetousness is sinful. It is forbidden in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, that we are told that we are not to covet anything that belongs to our neighbor, neighbor there being anyone in proximity to us in our life. And so we are not to give in to this sinful attitude of covetousness, this desire to be greedy. Okay, and we talked about that last session. So we put that away, and what we want to replace our covetousness with is an attitude of contentment. As we have said before, our culture here in the United States of America, we are a culture that is driven by discontentment. And our discontentment is often fed by the fact that we have covetous hearts. We want possessions. We want material things that do not belong to us. Or we want people. We want someone else's wife. We want a different spouse. We want a different set of circumstances. We want a different house. We want a different automobile. Whatever it may be that if we're not careful, we desire things, material possessions and other things from a covetous heart. And our culture thrives in that and that our our world our culture thrives on discontentment so we want to put that discontentment away and by the way covetousness questions and disregards god's provisions and it disregards god's sovereign care and plan for us in our lives and so we want to be very careful with the sin of of covetousness that then breeds discontentment so we got to put that away and replace it with an attitude of contentment. Well, what is contentment? Contentment can be defined as mentally or emotionally satisfied with things as they are. I'm going to clarify that in a little bit, but I want to just say this up front. It is not saying this attitude of being mentally or emotionally satisfied with things they, as they are This is not saying that we overlook sinfulness in our lives. There should be a a spiritual sense of dissatisfaction in that we may not be as spiritually mature as God would want us to be. We may be battling a particular sin, a very public sin or maybe a very private sin. So we don't want to be just, oh, well, that's just the way I am and and that's, that's okay. That's not the kind of contentment we're talking about. We want to be discontent in the areas where we are sinful or spiritual immature. But in, in regard to material things, in regard to our spouses, in regard to the, the uh, blessings that God has given to us, we need to be mentally and emotionally satisfied with things as they are, recognizing that God is enough. God is sufficient. If I have God, that truly is all that I need. It is a state of satisfaction and ease of mind. So from a Christian perspective, we would simply say that what contentment truly is, is it is a satisfaction with God's all-sufficient provisions. So I have to be satisfied in God. I have to be satisfied with what God has provided for me. Now, discontentment is often our response to unmet expectations, 
Sometimes we feel discontent because we have expectations that we deserve better or we deserve something different or we deserve something that is good to a degree that surpasses what God has provided for us. So with these expectations and our and our hearts build up this sinful desire, maybe an idolatrous desire, and when they are not met, we feel disappointed, we become disillusioned, and we fall into the sin of discontent and covetousness, which leads us to spiritual uh, way, a spiritual wasteland, a spiritual destruction in our lives. The reality is we want to live in a fairy tale world that does not exist. We want everything to work according to as we plan or as we desire. And when these fantasies don't become a reality, we get frustrated. And a frustrated life is often the result of discontentment. And so contentment means that God is enough in our lives. I came across a Roman proverb. Okay, This was just a, a Roman kind of saying that they had. The proverb goes like this, money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. So my mind, and whenever I come to this conversation about contentment and putting on this attitude of contentment, one of my favorite verses of scripture in this conversation is found in Proverbs chapter 30 and verses 8 and 9. The proverb says this, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of God in vain. So get what this proverb is saying. The prayer of this proverb is, give me, Lord, neither riches, don't make me wealthy necessarily, and don't give me poverty, Give me exactly what is convenient or beneficial for me. There are people that I know, and we'll get to this in a few moments, but there are people that I know that are, that are very wealthy people. And I remember in a previous ministry in a different city where we lived uh, for a few years, I remember understanding as a pastor, I don't know what people make. I don't understand. I don't question what people make. I don't know who gives what amount. I have no idea. But through the course of time and conversation, you begin to learn that there were certain people in, in this ministry we were in a very long time ago, in this particular ministry that had a very deep-rooted sense of financial stability. In other words, they were wealthy. And I remember looking around that auditorium saying to myself, if someone walked into this place and I said to them, pick out the two wealthiest people in this room, I would dare say no one would pick either of these two people. So while they were wealthy, wealth is not sinful. It's not sinful to be financially uh, wealthy. It's certainly not wrong. But for some people, money can be a very real danger. So this proverb says, if money, wealth, financial gain is a problem for me, and I would not be content, and I would become materialistic, then please, Lord, Don't give that to me because it says, the proverb says that I may become full and deny God. 
In other words, there is a danger to financial wealth because so often our confidence begins to fall on money, on things, on our possessions. And so this proverb says, don't make me wealthy if I am not spiritually mature enough to handle that because I might deny God and I might walk away from my relationship with God. So if that's the case, Lord, please don't give that to me. The proverb also says, don't give me poverty to where I would steal and take God's name in vain. And the proverb basically says, give Lord to me what is convenient for me, what is spiritually beneficial for me. Now, if you have a Bible near you, I would invite you to find 1 Timothy. And in chapter 6, Paul here is writing to his protege in the faith, really his son in the faith, this man, Timothy, who was a very dear person in the life of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says this in verse 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain, spiritual gain. Verse 7, he says, For we brought nothing into this world and cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Why? Verse 10 Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving. Remember last week when we talked about the people of Israel in Numbers chapter 11, where it said they had this deep-rooted craving, this desire that would not be satisfied. And so it says here that through this craving, This very strong desire, this strong sense of covetousness through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So let's take just a few moments tonight and look at Paul's description and discussion with Timothy about this issue of godliness plus contentment equals great gain. While godliness should never, will never secure financial gain, I can be godly and be and be in poverty. He says that godliness with this attitude, this spirit of contentment is a place in which I have great gain, this spiritual maturity. You could say it this way, it is the perfect condition of life in which no support is needed. In other words, I'm financially cared for. I have the necessities of life. I'm not filthy rich. I'm not poor. I simply have what God has given to me. And with that, I can choose with the attitude of being contentment. Well, why? Why should we be driven by this attitude of contentment? Well, Paul answers this question in verse 7. He says, the reason that we should be content in this life is because we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. And so what we need to learn is that if we have food and clothing, we are to be content. 
with what we have. As I said last week, that when we first got into ministry, I never had any any aspirations to own a luxurious home or anything like that. I understood that ministry with ministry comes some financial limitation just by the nature of what God has called you to do. And when we first got into ministry, we had a very small home down in the Orlando, Florida area, but it was it was the home that God provided for us. It was a home that our two oldest children uh, had kind of spent the first few years of their life, and we had a very sweet time living in that home. It wasn't in an upscale neighborhood. It wasn't the biggest house on our street. We didn't have this big, huge yard. We simply had a house that was convenient for us, and we had to learn the spirit of contentment. My wife and I had been I had been in the healthcare world for a number of years. I had uh, been in a position of leadership. My wife had, during my seminary years, had a very lucrative job and position, and yet we walked away from those things because we wanted to be in ministry, and our financial situation was greatly reduced, and God had to teach us contentment. And while money was tight, we never missed a house payment. We never missed a meal. We never had uh, a need that God didn't provide. And so contentment means I take the circumstances that God has given to me and I learn to have this attitude of contentment, not this insatiable desire to be wealthy, not the love of money, not the pursuit of money for the sake of becoming wealthy for the sake of the money and putting my confidence in money as Proverbs talks about, please, Lord, don't give me that so that I would deny you. In our next ministry, we didn't own a home. We we lived on in church housing, which was a blessing to us. We came here to Wilmington and God provided a home for us. I never imagined that in ministry we would be able to to acquire. And so when we look at contentment, it is not determined by what material blessings that I perceive as blessings, whatever material possessions that I have, it is based on my pursuit of godliness and putting on the spirit and attitude of contentment because, as Paul says, if I have food and raiment, food, clothing, and shelter, if I have those things, then I am to live with content. If you remember back last week, we talked about Numbers chapter 11, and we didn't spend a lot of time on that text, but I would invite you to go back and and read that again. If you follow the Exodus generation through the wilderness, we know that there were times that they complained very often against God. They complained that they didn't have water, and then they complained about food, and God provided for them manna from heaven to sustain them, to meet their physical needs of hunger, and to nourish them. But as time went on, that was no longer good enough, and they desired meat. And that's where Numbers chapter 11 comes in, is that they began to glorify the past. They began to overlook God's provision. They began to take that for granted, and they lost their attitude of contentment and became covetous, and God judged them for that. And so when we think about what God has provided for us, I always I always think about our, our children will come down stairs or whatever and they'll go to the cabinet, they'll go to the refrigerator and they'll open it and they'll look around and it's like, man, we have nothing to eat. 
And yet the refrigerator is full, the freezer is full, the cabinet is full. There's plenty of food there, but we become discontent. I don't want to eat that because I've had that before. I want something new. I want something different. I want God to provide something that is more luxurious for me. We don't always just stop and thank God for his provisions and realize that if I have food, I have raiment or clothing, and I have shelter, I have what God has provided. I am to put on an attitude of contentment. Now, Paul gives the wealthy a very stern warning. Actually, it could be a warning to those that may desire to be rich, as he says that with godliness, there's great gain. Verse 7, we can't take anything out of this world, the possessions that we have. But if we have food and clothing, verse 8, be content. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich. Okay, again, it's not sinful to be rich. But if my insatiable covetousness is leading me to the desire to be wealthy at any cost, my God is money. What I desire is financial gain, not for the glory of God, but to obtain possessions. He says in verse 9, you're going to fall into various temptations, cravings, desires, covetousness that can become sinful and it leads to discontentment and it leads me to the place that I am sinning against God in the pursuit of money. He says that rich, those who desire to be rich, this covetousness to be rich, this insatiable desire to be rich, develop temptations or cravings that are senseless or unwise. And they are actually, he says, harmful. It is bringing people to ruin. It is bringing people to destruction. There are people, because they are driven by covetousness, that when given money, it destroys them. It destroys their life. When God, when money is my God, that if I get that and gain that, it leads me to my destruction. And so we want to be very wary of money. We want to be wary of the insatiable desire to get money at any cost. And as Jesus said, by the way, in Mark chapter 10, verse 25, he said this, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He's not saying that a rich person can't get saved. He's not saying that a rich person can't enter into a relationship with God. What he is saying is that for those that are wealthy, very often their confidence is in money. Their confidence is in possessions. And yet our confidence is to be in the sufficiency of God. And so when he says it is easier for a camel, which is a pretty large animal, to go through the eye of a needle, that would take a miracle. But it also takes a miracle for those whose God is money for them to enter the kingdom of God because they have made it their God. Now, in verse 10, Paul gives this warning, the love of money. We all need money. We got to have money to survive. Our, our economy thrives on money. You have to have money to buy. You have to have money to do these things to provide for your family. 
That's not the problem. The problem is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I like what one writer said. He said money itself is no more evil than a bowl of ice cream. Well, a bowl of ice cream can become evil when it becomes two, three, four, or ten bowls of ice cream every day, and I fall into this period of uh, this this uh, position of gluttony. Then it becomes sinful. Food is not sinful, but it can become sinful. Money is not sinful, but it can become sinful. Money is not the problem. The problem is the love of money when we pursue money at all costs. So we don't want to covet after. We don't want to make money our ultimate desire. And he says, actually, even even more sadly, he says at the end of verse 10, that some have wandered away from the faith in their pursuit of money. And it has pierced themselves with many pangs. So there is no limit to the kind of evil that the love of money can produce in our lives. And so we want to get away from this covetousness, replace it with an attitude of contentment. It is not to say that it's sinful to be wealthy. It is not sinful to have a successful career. What is sinful is to have the spirit of covetousness because godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness is healthy. There is a healthy dissatisfaction in godliness with my current level of spiritual development, as we said at the beginning. I should be dissatisfied with where I am spiritually, and I should desire to grow more. But contentment in what God has provided for me is the per- to be the pursuit of my heart. So in closing, let's answer this question. How do I do that? How do I live with a spirit of contentment? Number one, live with an eternal perspective. You you have to live from an eternal point of view. Paul says, we brought nothing into this world. We will take nothing out of it. So part of living life with eternity in view from an eternal perspective means that I keep the material blessings of this world in perspective. My hope is not in those things. I I just recently crossed the 50-year-old mark, and my father taught me very young that you are to set aside a little bit of money each week to plan for the future. And so through the years, God has blessed that, and, and, and we try to save each and every pay period to put money aside for our immediate needs and also for our long-term needs. But I've always invested that money, especially the long-term money, with the idea it may not be there. I'm not going to put my confidence just in my investments. I'm not going to put my confidence in those financial things because it's just money. It, it, it's not going to last. It's not eternal. Yes, I want to be responsible and plan for the future, but I have to keep my financial perspective in an eternal perspective and keep my material things, my bank account, my house, my cars, whatever they may be, I have to keep them in perspective. 
Secondly, you have to purposefully decide to allow enough to be enough. You have to choose to be content with food, clothing, and shelter. You have to choose to be content with God's provision in your life. That's a choice that you make. We choose to be content. A few weeks ago, I was watching a, a sporting event, and during the course of this event, they a, an advertisement came on for a, a, a luxury car. Not really a luxury car kind of personality, but this car caught my attention. And I watched, and I began to think in my heart, man, I need that car in my garage. That is a sweet car. And so, conveniently, the commercial didn't bother to tell you how much the car cost. So after the commercial was over, my son was beside me on the couch watching the uh, sporting event with me. And I pulled out my phone and I searched this car and learned very quickly the car cost $133,000. Well, I can't afford that. Even if I could, I wouldn't pay that personally. I'm not paying that for a car. And it's very hard to see that commercial for this wonderful car, latest technology. The seats were real leather with the commercial said, I think it was 10,000 individual stitches in each seat. Wow, amazing. It's difficult to go get in my little Toyota Matrix, four-cylinder, five-speed standard transmission, windows you roll down with the old cranks, locks that lock with the little button, no no, you know, button that I hit and the, and the door's unlocked. You got to unlock it with a key. It's, it's hard at times to get in the car and be content with the car God has provided. It's not to say you don't need a new car from time to time. It's not wrong to buy a new vehicle. It's not wrong, with, especially as your family changes and you need a different car. Please don't. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is be content with what God has given you. Keep it in eternal perspective. Allow enough to be enough. When God has provided for you, choose to be committed. I would add this in closing. It's healthy at times to look and listen to the words of others. John Rockefeller once said this. He said, I have, had, he said, I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Henry Ford once said this. He said, I was happier as a boy working in a mechanic shop, though we had nothing. You see, money can't always bring you happiness. Money can't always bring you contentment. What brings contentment is choosing to live a content lifestyle and choosing to rest in God's provision for my life. That is how you defeat a covetous heart. So I end you with this question. Are you, I leave you with this question, are you a contented person? Contentment is choosing to be satisfied with what God has provided. It is choosing to say enough is enough. God is good. He's provided food, raiment, and clothing. Therefore, I will be content. Thank you for joining us once again. We look forward to continuing on in our study next week, and I pray that you'll be able to join us once again as we continue on in our study on attitudes. 
Again, if you have any questions or comments about tonight's content, please contact us. Also, if you think this might be a help to someone, please join, uh, help us out by sharing this with others and uh, joining our, our, our Facebook page and other ways that you can share this content. We would very much appreciate that. So let me pray with you very quickly, and then we will end our time together tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time of studying your word together, and give us content hearts that are not driven by covetousness, and to rest and trust in you, and be thankful for the provisions you've given. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Good night.